Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. If you're listening to this episode, then you're likely a student athlete or family member of one. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you find our podcast valuable. Mental performance coaching allows young athletes to show up at their best every single day by conquering distractions, pressures, and mental roadblocks through evidence-based strategies. So let's talk. You can visit my website at michaelvsinvincenthuber.com to schedule a free strategy session. Let's see if mental performance coaching is a fit for your family. Enjoy this episode, and thank you again for listening. How is John Terrine passing on the wisdom of his legendary coaching mentors? Coaching, much like parenting, has a deep influence on young people. Many of us learn how to coach from those who coached us. Unfortunately, not everyone has ideal coaching role models. Coaching lessons that are passed down generationally can have significant influence, positive or negative, on young athletes. It is critical to educate coaches on effective practices in order to curb the troubling youth sport dropout rate. My guest, John Tareen, is a former NFL strength and conditioning coach and currently an area developer for I-9 Sports. In episode 36, John discusses how he has adopted foundational lessons from legendary coaches such as Marv Levy and Tony Dungy. John shares how he is using those lessons in his current role as a franchise operator at I-9 Sports, whose mission is helping kids succeed in life through sports. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with John Tareen. Hey, John. How are you, man? Mike, what's happening? Not much. Good to see you here. You too, buddy. You too. Always love. I always love catching up with you, but now we're doing it with the record button on. We're doing it with the record button. <laughs> we're halfway Just remember, we have an edit function here. <laughs> yeah, we could have. We're about a hundred steps from each other. Yeah, exactly. It's the world we live in, right? We default to technology rather than in person, and right. I think that probably needs to change. But um, <laughs> I guess, I guess to start off, I mean, can you talk about what led to you getting into coaching at the NFL level? as a strength and conditioning coach? Yeah. You know, Mike, I, when I was in high school, um, you know, I had this, you know, probably like most New Jersey kids that are playing football, if around ninth grade or 10th grade, the reality the painful reality sets in that all right, I'm probably not going to play for the giants. Mm-hmm. Like if you look in the mirror and you, and you're like, I was five, nine, nothing, not fast, strong, or athletic, you go, huh, probably not going to play for the Giants. But what I did fall very um, in love with was and obsessed with was this idea around, okay, what can I do with the gifts or curses that I have from the neck down, right? I didn't understand the neck up at that time, uh, to, to farm your land. Um, but how could I take whatever it is I have? Because all I wanted to do was play college football. That's all I wanted to do. It's all I cared about a little too much. And 
what can I do physically? How can I train? How can I eat? How can I, whatever it is. Um, fortunately, I saw some really ugly things on the illegal drug side in my life um, from others that scared the hell out of me, thank God. And I never went that route mm-hmm. um, because that in of itself is a scary route and a whole different conversation. So because I wasn't interested in my heart exploding at the age of 16 or 15, what could I do? Um, and so I, I, I began to dive into this idea of, you know, how do you train? How do you maximize your, your gift? That's the idea, right? Here's the genetics. What can I control? Can't fix the height. Can't fix the hair color. Mm-hmm. You know, but what can we do? And that led me on that this journey of really going, well, this is so interesting to me. And it helped me um, uh, quite a bit. And I was like, well, this could probably help other people as well that are unsure and uncertain and not blessed or gifted and not to act like a victim. Well, this is all I have. Mm-hmm. What can I do? Right. And so to the idea, I didn't even know that was a thing, like a job, right? right? (laughs) And so, you know, you're talking about the late um, 80s, early 90s, you know, late 80s, really, at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, the Giants had a strength coach named Johnny Parker at the time. I remember Johnny Parker. I was a big Giants fan growing up. There you go. So Johnny, who was one of the classiest, most incredible guys you'll ever Mm. Uh, uh, come across um, I had called him because I wanted to I found out there's this job called strength and conditioning coach and it really intrigued me and I can go to college and I could maybe play in a division three I wound up going to Springfield College small school of mass which at that mm. time was division two which was a little above my level and I mm. got wiped and hurt and all these kind of things but but my high school coach and I'll swing back to Johnny in a minute my yeah. high school defensive coordinator who had gone to Springfield when he asked me what I wanted to do, I said, I'm really intrigued by this strength and conditioning thing. And he used to teach us how to lift weights in his office with a bar. And then we would go across the street to the YMCA. And that's how we learned to do wow. cleans and all this. <laughs> that's a coordinator in his office, which the bar was, it was like playing a pool table. With the walls <laughs> right. the it was probably touching the, touching yeah. the walls yeah, at yeah, some point. Yeah. <laughs> like a game, game of pool, right? And so, um, Coach Purdy used to teach us that. And he goes, look, John, you need to go to Springfield College. That's in mass. I never heard of it. <laughs> he goes, that's where you need to be. Great strength, great sports science, strength and conditioning, now sports psychology programs. You got it. You got it. Some of the some of the most amazing people. And I'll, I'll, I'll make that come to life in a minute and prove the point about these people up there that are just world class. Yep. Human beings, aside from good at their work. <laughs> Um, and so I talked to, I called Johnny, I was 16 years old, coach Parker. And I said, you know, I want to learn about this strength and conditioning thing. And I, I couldn't believe he answered the phone, <laughs> you know, and they were at training camp at Fairleigh Dickinson university in Madison at the time. Yep. And I said, Hey, can I come like, what do, I had, I had some questions for him. He spent 45 minutes on the phone with me, 45 minutes. I was a 16 year old kid. Hmm. So this, obviously, I've never forgotten. I'm an old man now. Um, and uh, and he taught, he goes, you know, hey, here's what you got. Take these classes, these kind of things, yeah. and, and, and do this. And I said, hey, can I come pick up towels? Can I come learn? You know, 
it wasn't that I was so starstruck by a Lawrence Taylor or Phil Sims, even though of course you are right as a kid, right. but I wanted to see what this thing is. Right. You know, I just thought I, what it was, but I don't see what I, well, we weren't, Bill Parcells didn't allow any outsiders in, even at 16 year old no, I, I could just imagine. <laughs> That's the short version of the story. But so, uh, and, 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 and so, but that day and that time that Johnny spent with me, um, of which I remind him almost every time I see him when we played on competing teams throughout our careers mm-hmm. and other things, and he gets tired of me thanking him um, and all that. But that was my first exposure to this kind of thing. And Johnny being so classy and so informative and, and giving of his time in the middle of training camp. And I can assure you, right. you don't have that kind of time in training. I believe it. You don't. I believe it. And to right. give it to a 16 year old kid was just, I still get goosebumps over that, man. It's amazing. And so I go to Springfield and I'm like, okay, I want to be a strength coach. You know, getting to the NFL is like thinking you're going to be a star in a Hollywood movie. It ain't happening. It's not. Right. But I knew the strength. So like, hey, well, like I can do this. And I worked for a coach, Marv Levy, uh, with the Buffalo Bills. And Marv used to always talk about he hated – hated is probably not the right word. But he never liked when people would ask him, how do I get to coach in the NFL? And Marv would always say, look, I love your question. I don't like the ending. Ask me how do you become a great coach? The level will will be what the level is. It's not to discourage you from the NFL, but if you're only in love with the NFL idea, you're going to miss the whole boat. And so you may or may not get to the NFL. And by the way, to to second Marv, I've seen better high school coaches in some cases than the NFL and vice versa. The high school, college NFL isn't this good, better, best. It's a bunch of coaching, right? Well, some of it's got to be luck too, right? Right place, right time, who you know, right? right? There's so much that goes into any profession about getting to a certain level, right? There's only so much you can control. Yeah. Lo and be, that, that's exactly right. And, and, and to reaffirm your point, and I'm always, frankly, a little embarrassed um, of how I got there because um, the, the, the way these stars aligned is I, when I, the, the, the times that I discuss it, mm-hmm. um, it still blows my mind. Um, <laughs> So when I was a sophomore, I was in a nutrition course at Springfield, a one-on-one nutrition course taught by the baseball coach. Many of the coaches at Springfield right. also teach. It's a small teaching institution. It's a yep. YMCA school. Yeah. Wow. And um, Coach Royce, who just got inducted into the Western Mass Hall of Fame for baseball. So I didn't know him. He didn't know me. Um, I wound up without getting into the long intricacies of, of, of how this happened, but I wound up, um, knowing an answer to a question that he asks. And the reason I knew the answer to the question that he asked Mike is because as I told you before, I fell in love with this idea of how do you get better? And that Mm -hmm. became a big hobby of mine. So I'm reading at a young age, strength and conditioning journals. That's when I, I actually found, you'll appreciate this. Um, Gilbert, who was a sports psych professor at Montclair State. Um, what's his first name now? Oh, man. He, the book was called Gilbert on Greatness. It was one of the first sports psych books I read. I was probably 17. And I was like, this is really cool. Yeah. And that kind of opened my eyes. Wait a minute. You know, I got my own, plenty of my own anxieties and doubts and all these other things. And I got hurt and I was in a real tailspin. 
around my identity mm-hmm. and what the hell's going sure. on and, you know, all the things that you espouse and help help people with the level that you are, which I, I can't respect anymore. And um, so Coach Royce, we're in the class. And as I told you, I just read on the side. I happened to the night before be I was reading about um, there was an article and, and I, within this one article was was uh, there was no Internet, at least that I knew about. Um, <laughs> Uh, was B vitamins and it was like B6 or B12, whatever the hell it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, Coach Roy's asked a question if you got the answer right, he would give you like an A in the course or the next exam. And he was like this old school, farm, tough, Western mass. I think he mm-hmm. had a dip in his mouth during class, <laughs> you know, ready to go. Cap on, stop built shoes on, you know, spikes. He's ready to go. Anytime there's baseball, he, he, I love it. I he's, love the, it. he's I love the greatest, it. the absolute yeah. greatest. <laughs> and it. he's always ready to go. The nutrition course was just something he did to pass time. I think. But he loved it and he was great at it. Yeah. And I knew the answer to the question, embarrassingly enough, because I had read it the night before. So the one thing I will tell you, as much as I talk about stars aligning, because mm. friends of mine have brought this out to me and kind of made me go, stop saying you didn't do anything. Right. I don't say this to be self-serving, but because I was studying, because I was reading, because I was talking to people, I was learning. Yeah, you're right. And I'll listen, I'll take it back to the phone call to Johnny Parker. A 16-year-old kid who's going to pick up the phone and call an NFL coach, like it just doesn't. It doesn't happen now, right? So you were you were taking your fate into your own hands to move the ball forward. And I think that that's a lesson that should not be overlooked because I talk to young people about it all the time. If you don't like where you're at and you want something to be different or better, you're going to have to do something about it. It's not going to come to you. And I think that that's a really important lesson to shine a light on. No, I appreciate that. I think, you know, to me, it can't really came from my grandparents, my parents, mm-hmm. um, who would say not as eloquently as you just did, but similar, <laughs> you know, similar things like, Hey, if you want it, go do, like, go get it. Like whatever right. get it means. Right. Exactly. As long as it's legal, <laughs> you know, go right. get it, go do it. Well, whatever it yeah. means and who cares? You're going to get hung up on. So what? You know, I've been hung up on so many times. I can't even tell you. Yep. Johnny didn't. You know, there you go. Um, but I appreciate that. Um, so I had answered the question correctly and I was scared to death to even raise my hand. We were filling him out on post-it notes and he was collecting them. And when he got to my row, I was, I'll never forget it. Four rows over, four seats back. And he was mad, like, ah, I don't know why I waste my time with you damn kids. You don't know what, you know. And then he gets to mine and he's like, whose is this? Who said B6? Who knew this? And I'm like, got my head down on my desk. I'm like, oh, God, no. I was like, forget it. Let the kid. I was like, you tell him it's yours. Like, I didn't want. I was scared to death of him, right? Right. Scared to death. And so I like raised my hand real awkwardly, you know, and he's like, Whatever your name is back there, you see me after class, you know. So now I got 55 minutes of just absolute hell, right? <laughs> Whatever he taught that day, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I was too in my head going, this guy is mad for no reason. Right. So anyway, he calls me after class. I go see him and he's just he starts talking to me. Yeah, where are you from? Kind of stuff. And he goes, what are you doing here at Springfield? Why are you here? 
And I go, well, to be honest, I wanted to go down to Florida and I thought I'd be renting jet skis in the Bahamas when I was done with college. I had, you know, my damn D coordinator sent me here. Why? What do you want to do? I want to be a strength coach. You want to be a strength coach? Yeah. How come you knew that answer? I said, coach, I was reading a thing last night in the NSCA journal. It happened to be in there. I wouldn't have known the answer two days ago. Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, I appreciate that. Right. So he goes, okay, take a walk with me. And I'm like, put my hand in my pocket, like on my Swiss army knife. Like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going self-defense, right? I had done martial arts, you know, I'm so great. I'm like, okay, I got, I'm I'm thinking back to my training a little bit. (laughs) Meantime, he just squashed me anyway. (laughs) No matter what I did. Yeah. I think he eats knives. So we take we take this 10 15 minute stroll back to his office he sits down mm-hmm. and he's talking to me the whole time you know kind of quote interviewing but you know whatever he was doing as a well seasoned coach who's worked with a million kids mm-hmm. now as i mentioned is in the western mass hall of fame for baseball mm-hmm. you know, he knows what he's doing and so we go back he picks up the phone he calls rusty jones now i have followed who all these strength coaches in the NFL were. Once mm-hmm. I got that phone call with Johnny, I was hooked, man. Mm. Rusty Jones was a strength coach of the Buffalo Bills at the time. Okay. This is this is early 90s, the Bills' heyday. Yeah, sure. When they were going to the Super Bowls. Sure. And I hear him talking. I could hear Rusty on the other end of the line. I don't know Rusty, but I know the name. And you could tell they were – it was, how's Tell-like. Sharon? Like, how's your wife doing? Like, they right, knew right. each other well. Yeah. And turns out Rusty had played for coach at Springfield and all that. Wow. Okay. And he, so he says to Rusty, you know, they get through the small talk and I'm sitting there on his couch. I don't know. I'm sweat. I'm about to throw up. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and, uh, he goes, Hey Rusty, he goes, I got a kid here named John. I think he'd be a great intern for you. He wants to be a strength coach. I was like, did I hear that right? Wow. Yeah. And he goes, and I could hear their conversation because Rusty and I, who I'm very, he and I, he's like a second father to me, mm-hmm. um, uh, mentor, everything. Um, he's got a very loud voice. He's a strength coach. He's a strength coach. He doesn't look like <laughs> one. He's, he's got a loud, he's a New Englander. So he's got this loud voice. Uh, Latin, heavy accent. He's I know, from Maine. I know, I know the type. Yeah, he's from Maine. Sounds like he never left. And so... And he's one of the greatest human beings in the world. So anyway, so I hear him go, let me talk to him. So he hands me the phone on the cord. Yes. Uh-huh. On the cord, and I'm shaking, <laughs> you know, right. I'm shaking. So I get, hello. Yeah. Uh, and he starts asking me a couple of things. Yeah. And he says to me, what year are you? And I said, I'm a sophomore coach. He goes, a sophomore. He goes, geez. He said, look, you got three years till you're a senior or whatever you got. He said, I could be fired three times by then. I don't know where I'm going to be in three years. Right. Now, Rusty happened to be by all counts. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm biased, but, um, unbiased. I can tell you, I'm not sure there's a more qualified, better strength coach that has lived, but you know, he's in the top five for sure. Um, so, so he wasn't going anywhere too fast, but um, he said, look, if Coach Royce likes you, I like you. Just stay in touch. Mm-hmm. With okay. That's all I can tell you. Just stay in touch. with. Me. Okay. Give me back yeah. to Coach Royce. They, they, 
They say the right. pleasantries, they hang up. Uh-huh. Coach Roy says to me, what'd you think of that? I said, coach, I'm not, I don't have the words. I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm sweat. Like, I don't know. I, I still stutter around. <laughs> and he goes, well, do what he said. You understand me? Don't screw right. it up. You t- I'm not an old school baseball right. coach, right? He, right. he ain't hearing anything. Right. Do it. Do whatever he said. Right. And he goes, next thing you can do is you're going to take that conditioning manual behind you. It's a Buffalo Bills manual it's from 1987. And you're going to uh-huh. study it take it out of my library and you're going to bring it back to me in about a week. Okay. I don't want that thing getting out of here. There's no internet. (laughs) So I take it and I'm like, how am I going to give this thing back to him in a week? I can't remember all this stuff. So I go down to the local Cumberland farms with about a million nickels. And I start copying this manual about 150 pages. Took me about two hours at the Cumberland farms. And I, I bring, so now I got my own copy, right? Yeah. And I, st- I had that thing memorized, memorized, didn't know what the hell any of it meant, but I had it memorized and I stayed in touch with Rusty. Um, and the long and long was I wound up there going up there as an intern a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. Um, I wound up being there and then I was getting ready to leave. Um, and I was looking to be either at, GA, a grad assistant, strength coach somewhere, get a mm. job. I had enough of college, to be honest with you, at that time. <laughs> I had enough. You're right. I, I, I recall the feeling. Yeah, yeah. But I knew, hey, if you're going to do this, you probably got to be a grad. So I'm making phone calls, right, mm. all over the place, kind of what I know how to do. And Rusty kept telling me, look, he's like, how's the phone calls going? Because he knew I was calling. He, he kind of gave me permission to call around and stuff. And everywhere, college, high schools, pros, everything. I go, ah, not too good, Rusty. There's people hanging up on me and just not nice. Some guys are nice, but there's nothing available. There's, like He goes, like, well, who is nice? So I tell him. He goes, who hung up on me? So I tell him. Right. <laughs> and he goes, do me a favor. Not out of spite or out of being angry or anything. He goes, just remember who hung up on you. He goes, someday they're, they're going to be calling you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> I think nothing. A few weeks later they tell me we want to keep you here to be a full-time assistant strength coach, which floored, right? Yeah. There was no, there was a few assistants in the league at the time and I happened to be in the right place. And the, the, the apologies I don't make is that I busted my ass. Well, well, but I want to go, but I want to go back to that because I think it's important, right? Like in all the things that you did, that were in your control led to the breaks that you got. If you didn't read the article to answer the question right, to show that you were prepared for the work, you wouldn't have got the introduction by your professor, by your teacher. You get there. If you don't follow up with Rusty, you probably don't get the internship. You go there, you show up, you bust your ass, they offer you a job, right? It doesn't happen by hap- it's not happenstance, right? It's like all the, it's the accumulation of all the little things that you do that you don't get, you know, patted on the back for over those years that put you in that position. No, I, yeah, fully agree. Yeah. It's, it's the do what you can control and, and exactly. And, and it's easier said than done. That's for damn sure. But you know, Hey, of course, you know, cause you, I'm sure there were some pretty rough days there, you know, where it's like, well, where's this going? Or, you know, I'm making, you know, I'm making next to nothing. How am I going to survive? Because, I'm sure you weren't getting paid a king's ransom, right? You're take everybody wants those jobs, so you take what you take, and you got to sacrifice. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. So yeah, there's no doubt about. It. I mean, yeah, credit. That's why I was on my way. I had to leave. I begged mm-hmm. to stay longer 
because I, I wanted to learn, but I was maxed out on credit cards. I was living with Rusty was putting me up at his house. Wow. You know, um, and, and all those financial stressors that you have and all these other things, but look, you know, at, at, at what, at what point is it worth it to you or not? Right. Right. Um, and so that's where that was, but, but yeah, no, it, 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 those things do line up and, and hopefully you're ready if, and when they do whatever the heck it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, um, so I'm curious, like, can you talk about as a intern or as a, a strength and conditioning assistant, like, I'm just curious about what that looks like, what your day to day is, what kinds of things you're doing, um, what the experience is like. Cause I think that that's, I think it's just interesting. Here's what I, because I was like, I can't believe I'm sitting here. I was driving to the rich stadium at the time, which is the Bills mm-hmm. stadium. every day. I'm pulling in this yep. lot with this Bills stadium. This is mm-hmm. the era of Jim Kelly, Bruce Smith, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed. My goodness. Cornelius Bennett, right? Phil Hanson. Some of the greatest football players ever. The list goes Ken Hall, God rest his soul. All of these guys. Yes. Pete Metzlars, who I coach with later. Frank <laughs> Reich had just left. I worked with Frank in Indy. Wow. Um, Very cool. I mean, and Pete Metzlars was actually one of the first guys I met because I had to throw him out of the weight room because he was not under contract, which thank God he was nice. Cause he could have squashed me too. But to your question, Mike, what I knew was this, I got to learn everything as much as I can, because I have this guy, this rusty Jones all day, every day. And I had him at home and no, the only person I know at that time that loved to talk strength and anything more than me was him. <laughs> <laughs> match made in heaven yeah and he and and he's a mentor a teacher a, yeah. a brilliant guy and we'd be he'd give me projects at night i'm working on him at home i'm staying up in his bedroom that they call john's room um and he's got me working on nutrition numbers and all these things at night so i'm i had nothing else to do i was single what am i doing and um but what it looks like is I said, I'm going to get there before him. I'm going to learn as much as I can. I'm going to uh-huh. look it up. I'm going to do whatever the hell needs to be done. And he, not in a kiss-ass fashion. I didn't grow up that way. Um, right. But, you know, whatever it was. And, and what you know, hey, the cooler needs ice, the cooler needs ice. Like, mm-hmm. if the treadmills need wiping. Like, the, let, let, right. let me assure you this real quickly or anybody else. The glamour wears off in about 36 hours. <laughs> After that, it's a job, man. It's a job and it's a hard right. job. Yep. Um, uh, there's, there's many hard jobs. This is one too. <laughs> um, yes. And so I did that where I made a mistake, one of a million mistakes. And, and I think so many, and, and maybe you have too, Mike, so many young, young, um, I would say early twenties. You probably do this a lot. People do this. I actually wound up, I'm like, okay, Rusty is this, unattainable human being right right but boy that like and johnny parker saint right right so i'm like i am so far from that but how cool would that be to be like then mm-hmm. what i didn't process was i actually turned into rusty <laughs> right i'm using the yeah. same jokes he's using sure i took on his personality right 
in addition to all of the genius things that he knew as a profession, as, mm-hmm. as a professional, on top of he's married to a great lady, a great son, a family man, what I espouse to be, and all these things. Sure. I'm like, this guy's the perfect human being, right? <laughs> and and once I realized I didn't have to be him, right. it was okay to be me, yeah. but learn the stuff, be mentored, and, 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 and this is what a great appre- apprenticeship or mentor will do for you and with you. And, you know, to the time in 2006, I'm with the Indiana, Indianapolis Colts, I had left Buffalo 1998, went to Indianapolis as the head strength coach. 2006, mm-hmm. Rusty's now with the Chicago Bears. We play each other in a Super Bowl. I, I remember it. Yeah. Obviously. We win the Super Bowl. I'm feeling terrible because he hadn't won one yet and been doing it forever. He Four with Buffalo, now five with Chicago. Uh-huh. He's happier for me. As a mentor it's ma- is. It's such an amazing thing, right? You know, and it was a weird thing. But but once I learned I didn't have to be him, but I could I could learn the stuff. And I think so many of us do that. Yep. I think. <laughs> you you would know probably better than I. But don't, you know, it's kind of a natural progression maybe, you know? It is. And, and I, I think that. it's just a, a comfort level in yourself that you can kind of be yourself, yeah. right? But I think that's in, in any sort of apprenticeship or, you know, teacher, you know, student relationship, right? Like you, you, you follow your role model and you try to mimic it, right? Because you like what they're doing, but eventually you find, you adopt the principles, but you find your own personality when you get comfortable enough to sort of use your voice. You do, Mike. You do, you do. Uh, you know, success leaves trails, but you got to separate mm. what's successful versus because now you're just a bad carbon copy of somebody. Right, exactly. And it's a, it's a listen. It's a fine line too. Yeah. Right. It's a fine. It's a fine line of taking the lessons and taking the wisdom and information you're getting and making it your own. Not everybody can do that. Right, not everybody is secure enough to stick their neck out on the line and and be that. And I, I think it's so. I, I, it leads me to a question, right? So, I was looking at Rusty's bio while we we're talking, and he was still in the league up until last year. It looks like he's still, no, is, he's still there. He's still there at the Colts. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he's still in the league. When you go off and go on your own, and you become the head strength coach in Indianapolis, at that point, he's still in Buffalo. Like. What was that experience, that transition like for you to, to like, now it's my shop. Like now I'm running things. Like how did that, how did that go? Well, first of all, I was scared to death. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so put, you got to understand, I'm an assistant in Buffalo with all those old vets that are wearing yellow jackets now in the Hall of Fame, among right. other guys. That uh, So you're talking about right. being young, coaching guys older than you in a league you never played in or coached in. Right. You talk about going, you know, all of the things that you and and, and guys in your field, uh, Mike Gervais and all these other great ones espouse yep. when you talk about, um, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, the, um, oh my God, it's come, uh, imposter syndrome and all these things, right? Perfect. Yep. And, and so um, I didn't want to leave Buffalo. Uh, Bill Polian became the president of the Colts in 98. Um, Bill had been with the Bills through the big years in the Super Bowls. Bill's yep. uh, in the Hall of Fame as an executive now. Yep. I wasn't with Bill in Buffalo. Bill wanted to bring the same strength and conditioning program to Buffalo 
excuse me, to Indy, to Indy that he had in Buffalo. The only other person that kind of knew it, because I was Rusty's first assistant ever, and he had been in Buffalo 10 or 12 years at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was nobody that spent every day with him for three years again. Right. So he's, so Rusty's like, well, you should take John Bill. And I'm like, what? I'm like, no, there's no way I can do that. <laughs> I'll just stay here. Thanks. Yeah, I'm like, no, I like the security blanket. It's very yeah. comfortable. It's very safe. It's very yeah. nice. <laughs> it's absolutely, you know, I can't screw up too bad. Cause you got me right. And like right. a buddy of mine said, who's a strength coach, he said, you know, John, it's a lot easier to make suggestions than decisions. And that's the difference. It's a great line. I love that. It's a great line. The difference in being an assistant versus a head is that line. That's the line. Yeah. Right. A hundred percent. And so I'm like, Rusty, no, he's like, you're ready. You gotta, you gotta go. I'm like, and I'm arguing with him. No, are you crazy? How old are you at that point? I'm freaking not even 25, Mike. Come on. Really? Yes. Wow. No wonder why you were scared shitless. Right. (laughs) I would have been. Yeah. I'm I'm like, no, I'm like, Mike, I'm like, Rusty, there are 10, I shouldn't even be here anyway. There's 10 million more people qualified than me to be here, let alone go to India and do this. With Bill Polian, the best uh-huh. executive in the league? Uh-huh. Jim Mora was the head coach at the time of the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. Um, former Marine. I'm like, what? I'm like, no. And now it's 98, right? The Colts were 3-13. and 13. They're going to draft right. either Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf at that time, right? Yep. So I go. He's like, Russ, like, no, you're ready. You got to go. Bill's what Bill needs you. You, it's going to be fine. And I talked to all the coaches in Buffalo. Wade Phillips had just taken over for Marv Levy as the head coach. He was the D coordinator at the time. Mm-hmm. And Wade had a long conversation with me, a lot of advice because he'd been not only his dad coach, he could like sure. you know, they've been around. And one thing I had to listen to is the old guys, and uh, which is you know, um, there's uh, Buffalo coaching staff was all. 50 year olds and above. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Cause I got to listen to those guys all day. Yeah. Sit, sitting under the learning tree, as they say. Yeah. And call listen, you, and it was, it also, it always started with listen, you young punk. And then they had the <laughs> advice. <laughs> so I knew when I heard, listen, you young punk. It's time to listen. It up. was good stuff coming. <laughs> and so, <laughs> that's the way they did it. Right. And got, and, and every, it was amazing. So, I get to, so I go interview at the combine. I go over as a Buffalo Bills uh, coach. I'm interviewing Bill Polian, Jim Moore, and a bunch of other people in the room. They grab me at the combine in February mm-hmm. of 1998 and go through this whole interview. And they want to, and I leave the interview. They come down and they grab, I go back down to the, one of the testing rooms where we were working. Mm-hmm. And one of the staffers came down and said, Hey, John, Coach Moore. And Bill want to talk to you. I go, I just left. He goes, no, I know. They're about to offer you a job. I'm like, no. I'm like, no. And lo and behold, they wind up hiring me. And I go over there. And it was, yeah. And, I mean, the mistakes and the, you know, I was like, first I get it. Okay, there's a new sheriff in town. This is how it's going to go, right? Right. And then that doesn't work, right? And then you learn all, you get through, okay, but. I had the credibility going over that I came from a good place. They knew Bill is the guy that hired me. Right. Everybody's scared of the president, right? And so 
and Bill, God bless him, ran a place like the Irish Mafia. Um, uh, that's how he liked it, you know. And I don't say that negatively. <laughs> like it, and so, no, I mean I, I've seen Bill Pullian more than a few times on on television, and I doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah, Bill, <laughs> Bill's Bill's again, no words, just amazing. I'm a brilliant guy, super well read, smart, just detailed, just mm-hmm. listener, one of the great listeners of all time. Uh, it's, one of the great. It's listeners. such an important skill to have right he that's was, that's what makes a leader is oh. is to really sit back and not talk but listen when you need to was he a great listener oh my god yeah that's um, amazing. and that's where i learned i'm like, huh? I'm like, he really <laughs> like be careful what you say and he'll remember yeah. you know well that's true too you got to choose your choose your choose your words carefully yeah and don't yeah don't bullshit and don't be wrong you know right and so, <laughs> don't be wrong yeah and so <laughs> um anyway so we had some players come over that also, when you have players that you knew and that respected you, right. that spreads in a locker room. Hey, John's over. It's credibility, John's right. Over, you know, John can help you. John's, John's got your back. You can trust John. Definitely goes yeah. such a long way. Yeah, and that was really the thing that got me over the top. And we had, we had a rough first year. Um, I almost actually left and went back to Buffalo. It was really tough. Um, what, what, what was it about the first year that was so tough that led I, you to think about leaving? I was working with a guy – um, that was on his way out and Bill needed some time to kind of make that happen. Not cause I demanded it. Um, it's a long backstory, but mm. I was paired with somebody that, you know, the Hatfields and McCoys ain't gonna, it ain't gonna work. Now the players never knew I was fine. It was, I was, I couldn't do what they right. brought me there to do. Um, and I was, and I was almost getting sick over it. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Rusty said, look, John, it ain't worth it, man. You can come back. Don't worry about it. Like, we'll just make a third position. Um, and GM was, yeah, John, you come back, whatever you want to do. So I gutted it out. I stayed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 14 years later, and Peyton Manning, wow. Marvin Reggie Wayne, all, you know, Dallas Clark, Jeff Saturday, all these guys. Man, Pat McAfee, man. that's all the kids want to talk about anymore. But um, everybody loves Pat. Nobody has character. Is he, is he as much of a character as he comes to he's, he's a super guy. He's all hard. He's so charitable. And he, he is. He's, he, as much, him, as much, go ahead. He was really young when we had him. But, yeah. but, but, as much as, much as I, I hate to admit it here publicly, but I, I am a – wrestling fan and i love him his, his energy on oh, wrestling. He's fantastic. That's fantastic. what a dude what a dude yeah he's absolutely fantastic he's absolutely fantastic and uh anyhow so you know again 14 years later two super wow. bowls one one but i you know i tell people all the time you know it's you know you could ask any former coach any former player any former military person even though the two things have nothing to do with each other mm. but when you say what do you miss the answer is the locker room. Nobody right, misses the people, the, the relationships, a hundred percent. I was thinking, I've been thinking about that the whole time, right? Like these are all people that I, I just know their names, right? And I know you, right? And so when I listen to it, I have a, a sense of where they're coming from because you have a relationship with them. But I think most people who would listen be like, wow, like the name, right? But at the end of the day, they're just people, right? Like they have a job to do and they're good at what they do, obviously, but they're people and you have a relationship with them and they, they live their lives in a normal way. And, you know, I've gotten to know some people who've played at the professional level as on a, on a personal level, friends, they're regular people. They're just regular people who happen to be really good at what they do. That's right. 
you know, it's like in most CEO cases. next door or anything else, Mike. Right. You know? Exactly. They, they, they really are. And, 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 you know, it's, it's so interesting and, and people don't see it and I get it. You know, people see the tailgate in the stadium and I get it and we all get mm. it and of the media and all these other things. But, you know, uh, one of the guys just, te- Dallas just texted me the other day is he just did an Ironman triathlon and he sent me wow. a picture of him finishing. He goes, Hey, check this out. And I'm like, Oh, you know, this was, this was two days ago. Um, but you know, I, let me, let me put it to the issue. We had a 10 year Super Bowl reunion a few years back. Uh-huh. And we all got together in Indy and it was amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm not sure, Mike, I can tell you this for a fact, any conversation I was in with anybody there, I'm pretty sure I'm almost certain that not one conversation. I don't even know if the guys know to score the Super Bowl. Doesn't mean they don't care. Don't get me wrong. Of course. But right. no game came up. What comes up is the nonsense. The bus right, ride, the, story, the stories. stories, the plane rides. How's your family? How's little this one? How's that? How's your wife? How's your this? How's your that? Of course. Stay okay. How Did you hear about him, her, whatever? And games do not come up. It's they don't even come up. Right. And so we're all worried about, you know, some Saturday afternoon on a field in the middle of nowhere, New Jersey with a bunch of six-year-olds. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you the Super Bowl doesn't even come up. Right. <laughs> but it's a, it's it's a really it's a really important lesson, right? Like it's a it's about the connections and the relationships you de- develop with people, right? The lessons that sports teach us about life. You know, and as and, and it's probably a good segue, right? You talk about coaching young people, right? And there's so much emphasis on what goes on in professional sports or the media or who's even at the high school level, who's going where and announcing my commitment and all this other crap. And it's like, nah, it's about what you get out of it and how you become a better person. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So, I mean, you were there for 14 years, you said? I was in Indy 14 and Buffalo three. Yeah. Right. So when you left, what, what led to, and we've talked about this and some, but what led you to leaving Indianapolis, like, and that was your last job in professional football, correct? Uh, as a full-time guy, you know, I've okay. done consulting, consulting and NFL stuff, yeah. and NBA and MLB and MILB and, and right as a full-time staff employee. But that, now. yeah. Um, first and foremost, um, and, and I don't say this with judgment or criticism by any means. A um, couple things. One, um, in 2005, when Coach Dungy's son took his life, uh, mm. it had a really profound effect on myself and men. Um, and if the Dalai Lama. Tony Dungy, uh, if he has a son with trouble, that means anybody can. Mm-hmm. Andy Reid, same. And I remember we were flying down to his funeral, um, and me and my they, they took all the families down, and I said to my wife, "I don't know if this is worth it." And what I meant was, you know, as I as I grew up in that in this league, I grew up in mm-hmm. the NFL, and I was sure. around all these old coaches who said, listen to me, you young punk. Um, I saw an inordinate amount, and I used to talk to a lot of their kids. Hey, well, how'd you like moving? Like, you're moving every three years, and how did that affect you? And I, I was really trying mm. to understand that. And and a lot of divorce and things like that. Sure. And it's not, again, it's not a judgment. Um, no, it's those are life choices that you make that have consequences. Yeah, and so I was like, okay. And I grew up. 
I was born in the house I left for college in. So mm-hmm. NFL, like coaching, was so foreign to me of moving and all these yeah. things. And so, but now a lot of these kids will tell you, oh, John, it was a great experience. I got to live here and there and there. And I got all these friends all over the country. And there's a lot of awesome experiences, you mm-hmm. know, really. But I have made the decision. I'm like, look, the way we need to do this. And, and I work for Coach Dungey who made, made you go to your wife's ultrasound appointments at any time in the year. You talk about a family man and, 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 and family. That's family cool. Way before football. And, and it was amazing. And Coach Caldwell, Jim Call the same way uh, after Coach Dundee. And after Indy was over, we had some diff- a bunch of different job offers, but I wanted to be around my kids. I wanted to raise them the way I wanted to raise them, which was to be present as much as I could possibly sure. be present. The jobs that I was offered was actually going to flip it even less time. And we're going to be in a city that we wouldn't wind up leaving. And I didn't, I wanted them back in New Jersey where we're from around their family. And I wanted to be with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a couple jobs we had where my kids were like, dad, what are you like? Let's go. Like they wanted to go, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I won't, I won't get to be around you. They're like, so what? (laughs) 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 That's your problem. Not mine. You know, (laughs) but, but that was, was the reason that, um, uh, we did that. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, and come back here and right to Fairhaven, New Jersey here and, and, uh, uh, have zero regrets. Do I miss, you know, what do I miss about the NFL? We talked about it. You miss the relationships and the guys. Mm-hmm. And all that. What led me to this youth sports thing? Yeah. Much like yourself, Mike, um, in one word, disgust, <laughs> but, but and when typically when you're disgusted, whether it's your weight, your finances, or anything else, is when you decide to make a change, right? Right, right. When you get to the bottom, you say, "All right, now it's time." I'm disgusted, right? Yes. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I was sitting. At, it was uh, my my younger son. I have two boys that are one's 19, one's 18. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and ironically, my 19 year old is at Indiana University. He was born in Indy, so it's really cool. But. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my younger boy, second grade, we're in Indiana. I go see his travel, excuse me, his baseball game, not his travel, his baseball game, second grade baseball. I hadn't been around youth sports in years, Mike. Uh-huh. And real quickly, I walked on that field and what I saw horrified me. Yeah. And I'm talking about the behavior of everybody except the children. Yep. And, but I didn't know when I sat next to a friend of mine, I was like, what's going on here, man? And he's like, nothing, John, don't worry about it. You're not here much. I get it. This is normal. And I'm like, normal. I'm like, what if this behavior is good for the kids? Look what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Parents banging on the backstop screaming. You got coaches and umpires cussing each other out. I got kids <laughs> crying everywhere. This is Indiana where you, if there's nicer people than in the, than in the state of Indiana, I haven't met them yet. Right. Um, you know, the Midwest people are the best. They're the best. Not like us jerks, right? They're the best. I lived in the Midwest for seven years and I couldn't agree with They're you. They're the greatest. They're the greatest. Yep. You know, we're a bunch of jerks around here, right? And so, yes. you know, we had to adjust to them. <laughs> And it was great. Uh, uh, but anyway, so my friend said to me, John, stop worrying about it. This is normal. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And that minute, and this is 2000, this is, I'm still in India. And I sat there and I said, okay, because he didn't want to talk about it anymore. And I said, geez, is he right? Is this normal? And I got to find out if he's right. And I went on this mission, as I like to do. And you mentioned it with yourself before. I dug in yes. and was like, I got to go learn about youth sports. I don't know what's going on. Yep. 
I know what my experiences were, which were, I, you know, if I had 10 coaches, five are the reason I was able to coach in the NFL and five are the reason that I ended up in a psychiatrist chair, right? Like, you know, <laughs> so, you know, what, um, is he right? So, because I was around a long time at access to some great, great folks all over mm-hmm. the world and I called them and tell me about what's going on in new sports and can I come visit you? And yeah. And then we wound up, you know, you wind up speaking, they want you to speak. And, mm-hmm. and so I put together all these workshops around co- uh, uh, youth coaches and coaching and, and uh, sport parents and kids of what I learned, you know, Tony Dungy's like, like Marv said, it's coaching. It's not the NFL, right? Well, a Tony Dungy's coaching can go not only any level of any sport, but by the way, he and many others have made me a better parent, you know, a better father, a better husband, a better person, a better everything. Right. And I was always intrigued by quote, personal development, whatever the latest word for that is now. I don't know, but uh, (laughs) growth, whatever, all that. We get, we get it. We get (laughs) always super, super, uh, every day, every day. So I go on this journey and this mission. And then Mike, when I found out that 70% of our kids are quitting youth sports by the age of 13, that's when I stopped in my tracks and I said, okay, my friend was right. This is normal. Mm-hmm. that this is nuts. Um, what he wasn't right about for me was telling me not to worry about it. <laughs> right. And that day I said, I am going to worry about it because seven out of 10 kids are leaving at the age of 13. And what's left for them to do is become anxiety ridden, depression, suicidal tendencies, opioid use and abuse. I can go on about the physical problems easily. hundred percent. Emotional and mental that you can speak to better than I is, and it's not just because of they're not playing a sport. It's that they've lost the people and the mentors, these caring adults in the community that they have. Yes. Who those of them that are doing it the quote right way. And we don't have, I, I, I think you put your finger onto something really important because I see this in my work and, and as a parent, parents God bless them. You're a parent. I'm a parent. Being a parent is not enough. Being just having good parents is not enough because the natural human tendency is for kids, my kids to not listen to me because I'm dad, right? They want to do it their own way. And so I want my own children to have a voice around them that sounds like mine that I know they'll listen to. And that's really hard to find. The voices that my kids are hearing are not the ones I want them to hear, but in some respects, I'm, I have a choice, but I don't have much of a choice if I want them to play sports because there's not really that many good options for having a coach who's going to espouse the same principles and values that I do when I'm coaching young people. There's no doubt, Mike. You know, many of us have a friend who will take our call at 3 a.m. If you're lucky, you mm-hmm. do. If you're lucky, you have one. I have a few. If you're lucky, you have one. Yeah. Um, I consider myself very lucky. Same guys that will take my call at 3 a.m. If I needed anything, anywhere, anytime, with no questions asked. Yeah. And I say that to say this. I used to ask my kids, and I still do all the time, tell me an adult who you would call at 3 a.m. that's not a relative, doesn't have our last name, or a relative at all, um, that you would feel comfortable telling anything or that you trust implicit and I wouldn't even have to know me and your mother wouldn't even have to know you talk to them who is that and they would tell me 
Mrs. This, Mr. This. Sometimes it was teachers, sometimes sometimes it was friends' parents. And I would want them to recognize, Mike, who those people were because I want them to understand two things. There's people out there that you can tell, because I know you're not going to tell your parents everything. I'd be naive to think you are. Well, that too, right. Okay. And I know this. We would like to, but let's be real. That's and so not happening. I wanted them to become super aware that they have adults in their life. And we had the same conversation about friends, but at teenagers, it's a little complex. But here's those adults that now you're super aware of because I've asked you the question that you can go to. That's not me. That I don't even have to know. And for them to know that just because I say something or your mother says something, we're, we're human. We're not right all the time. Right. And right. so exactly. who are those people? And go right. see them. And I right. want you listening to them. And I don't care if it's in. Sometimes they might contradict something I say. I can't yeah. control what they're talking about. But if you trust them, you'll also know. And they're great people. They'll also know that they're wrong often, too. Well, what you're teaching your child in that instance is critical thinking, right? You take some good from one place. You take some good from another place. You leave some of it behind. Then you start to formulate your own judgments. And that's what we want. That's what I want for any kid that I work with, whether it's my kids, my clients, like you need to be able to think on your own and make choices on your own and do things on your own. And if we don't give them the room to make those decisions, which we don't a lot of times in youth sport, because we only order our kids around (laughs) and we only tell them what to do because we want to win a game that doesn't mean shit (laughs) in the grand scheme of things. We're, we're conditioning them for perfectionism. Because it's not okay to make a mistake because we have to win this game because it's really important, even though it means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of their lives. And that's messed up. It is messed up, Mike. It is. You know, we've got this, you know, there's, there's, you've hit a lot of meat on the bone there. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got this, you know. You got me going, John. No, I love it. I love it. Um, absolutely love it. We've got this um, – win it all cost mentality out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here's where it gets funny, right? Cause it's easy for me and you to talk about this. It is. But when you talk about, well, wait a minute, you don't want to like, you don't want to win. You don't want to compete. Like this is not Kumbaya participation trophy. That's stuff, right. And we, we've learned both academically and anecdotally and in real that the participation trophy, although well-intended missed it, it missed it. Right. It does it backfired. But, but I think what I've learned or what I think I figured out, and I may be wrong about this, is there's a difference between wanting to, as a coach, as an adult, wanting to win a game because you want your kids to experience the reward and the feeling of winning versus wanting to win the game because I want to win to show that I'm a good coach or I want to <laughs> brag to my friends, right? Those are two different things, right? I get into it too. I want to win games now when I coach kids because I know they want to win. They want their hard work to pay off. It matters to them. So I want it to matter to me too. But if we win or lose, I don't give a shit. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change my life, right? Like it's got to be for them. And I think a lot of people want to coach and win as adults because it makes them look good or it makes my kid look good or, you know, who cares? Perception, you know? Yeah, we Perception, right? It does. It's the, you, you bring up such a great point. And we talk to our parents all the time about, at, mm. at, with our I-9 sports, with our youth program. Yeah. I'm like, look, this is um, – you're done. This is their time. This is their – we're going to give the sports back to the children. And I'm going to show you how we're going to do this. Um, it doesn't mean you have to put a duct tape over your mouth. Um, but we're going to give the sports back to the children. Now, you bring up a great point before. So a couple of 
other amazing mentors that I had um, uh, have uh, Joe Ehrman and Jody Redman of the Inside Out Initiative, and I would encourage anybody to to read Joe's book and follow Joe's and Jody's work with the Inside Out Initiative, and look at Joe's TED talks. And uh, Joe changed all uh, my life, <laughs> among many others. Way back, Coach Dungey used to bring Joe in and work with players and coaches on coaching. And Joe and Jody talk about the 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 goal of sports. Right, is to play, practice, and prepare to compete to win. Joe has the most beautiful definition of competition because that becomes an interesting thing, right? And and the the definition of competition that Joe talks about is a mutual quest for excellence, right? And that kind of puts things in, oh, that makes sense, right? It doesn't mean I stand over you, slash my throat, and put it on TikTok. We're equal. We're we're equals with a a shared goal. Yeah. And so when, when you put it that way, right? So now the goal, of course, is to play practice prepared to, to compete and win, but it's not the purpose. And the purpose is why it exists and why we're here. And you've alluded to so much of that already. Um, the, so once we define the difference in the per, the larger purpose, you know, they used to ask John Wooden, the great legendary basketball coach. You see love John Wooden. Love, 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 Who, you know, how's your team going to be this year? He goes, I don't know. Ask me in 20 years because in 20 years I'll see what kind of people they've become and what kind of professions they're in and how they're serving the community. And then I'll answer the question, you know, to paraphrase. Um, and so when you look at that and when you put it, you know, you talk about the impact that you have as a coach because all of us, another mentor and friend of mine, John O'Sullivan, does a great lesson. He calls it the sticky note exercise. And if you can think back to your favorite, most impactful coach you've ever had or teacher in your life, you could probably come up with that person in about three seconds. Mm-hmm. If you think back to the one that you would cross the street right now, if you saw them, you can think of that person in about three seconds. Mm-hmm. And so John does this exercise and he says, tell me why that person is your favorite. And we've done this all over the world now. Why is How come that person comes to mind? What is it that they did? Tell me five things that they did. Um, that they come up and invariably 80% at minimum of those five answers. If you follow me here. Yeah. Yep. You can be looking, you know, I might not be super clear here. So five, <laughs> no, five reasons that person comes to mind word or small, short phrase, 80%. I've been in rooms where it's a hundred percent, five out of five. Um, uh, and I've done this exercise as well with credit to John, of course, but, um, See, I, I've been lucky, Mike. I've I've never had to have an original thought my whole life because I've just found people that, <laughs> that that I go, oh, that's a great. But do do any of us really? That's well, fair point. Fair point. Uh, some of us think we do, but I don't. Um, but anyway, so invariably, almost every time, eighty percent and above will have words to do with connection. They believed in me. They trusted me. They had my back. Whatever those things were. Mm-hmm. Very few ever have to do with knowledge or competency. However, don't let that be misrepresented uh, as knowledge or competency about the sport or skill or activity. doesn't matter. Of course it does. Of course There's it does. conferences all over this country and world about how to run a 2-3 zone better. But everybody's complaining about this kid or that kid or this coach I work with or this AD or this administrator. And in work, if we all think back – when you come home at night and whoever you're complaining to or if it's the wall that you're complaining to, is it ever about the 
the actual work in 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 on balance to that pain in the ass dude down the hall. I hate him. I can't deal with him. Well, what if we were to be able to teach this type of connection and how we understand that mm-hmm. on this beautiful sacred fields? There's a great sociologist, Mike, just to bring home this point. I'm sorry to drag on you. You're good. Keep going. Jay Coakley. Jay, Jay Coakley. Sure, I know. I've read his work. So, you, so I've read his articles. I I know. I know he, who he is. I had. A, I read his textbook in yeah, grad school. You're, okay, so you you should say this better than me because I'm not as well read on Jay, but boy, I don't know. I say Jay like I know. Um, uh, so keep me in bounds here. Jay T- Coakley talks about the great sports myth, right? And please follow up here and add your better context. You're teaching me here. Go ahead. Jay, and, and you can find his work. Jay asked the most beautiful fundamental question. And it's not meant to be a trick question, and I hate trick questions anyway. But the question <laughs> is this, Mike. Are sports fundamentally good? Right. And he lets it hang out there. I just asked this at our coach training two weeks ago with, with 50 coaches in our room, both our staff coaches and parent volunteers. Mm. And the answer to the question is sports are neutral. Right. Sports is a benign thing. Tell me who's in front of these children, these people, these adults. Mm. Um, as Joe Ehrman says, if we take caring adults in a community that model, nurture, teach, develop, and grow character performance alongside and in unison with skill performance and fundamental skills and, and competition, mm-hmm. then we have something. And character is a skill. And if it's a skill, then mm-hmm. it can be taught. This is right. Joe Ehrman. Back to Jay Coakley. Therefore, yeah. tell me who's in front of your children on that field where you say, go play sports because if you just play, you're going to realize all the beautiful things about sports, the teamwork and the dedication and the discipline and the health and the fit and all these things. That's BS. It's BS. Because what one of the reasons I got into this youth sports world is because mm-hmm. how dare you take these sacred fields, courts, tracks, pools, and ice and disgrace them with mm. your discouraging, horrendous behavior – and I don't blame you because you just don't know. No, you don't know the difference. You don't know. And you've been given. Thank you very much because you have the time. And at least you volunteered. At least you right. stepped up. And thank you. hundred percent. But there's leaders in the community like yourself, Mike, who can say, look, we appreciate you stepping up. And here's a really great way for these kids when, when they're 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years old, when they get asked, tell me about your most impactful favorite coach that you ever had that you would give your life for almost, almost, Mm -hmm. and your name comes up, how great would that feel? Because (laughs) would you like it to come up when you say, who's the guy you wouldn't put out if they were on fire? And that's you because of the way you treated that kid? Correct. You want to be that guy or gal? I don't. You know, so that's where we talk about this this difference. And, 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 and you know, please, if I've uh, discredited Jay in any way. No, you're, you're on point. It's funny. I was pulling up an article because I've read his work and it's been a while. But one of the titles of his articles, and this is, I think, in, in line with what you're talking about, is burnout among adolescent athletes, a personal failure or a social problem, quote, uh, question mark. Right. Is it the person? Or is it society? And I, I think, you know, the answer to anything is, is, is it's a combination, right? It depends. 
but to me, it's more societal, right? We're not creating the conditions for sustained motivation in sport because we're, we're rewarding the wrong things. Totally. Without, without understanding the, con- the long-term consequences of it. Like, hey, it's going to affect your health. Hey, it's going to affect your mental health. It's going to affect your well-being. It's going to affect all these other things that happen in your life because you dropped out at 13. Because we're not doing right by you. And that's concerning. It's disgusting, right? But it's also, to your point, it's because people are just ignorant and not in a pejorative way. They just don't know the difference. Now, the problem becomes, and I know you know this better than I do, is when someone does know the difference and they're trying to help that person understand the difference so they can be better and the kids can be happier and they don't listen, that is where the frustration comes. Like, I know better I'm trained to know better. I've been in that position. I'm not saying I know everything, but I know a little bit more than you. And so rather than telling me I'm wrong, because, you know, because you, your ego's too big, open your ears and listen and maybe take something from it so that we can make this situation better for everybody going down the road, right? So now you got me on my soapbox because there's a lot of people there who think they're expert based upon the fact that they played Little League Baseball 40 years ago. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. Sorry. No, I love audience. Them. No, I love your I love I love your <laughs> no. no, but it's 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 right. I heard a coach say one time, either you don't know or you don't care. I'm gonna first assume you don't know. Right. Once you once I know you know, and now you just don't care. You know, we talk to our parent volunteers about look, um, we have a way that we like to do this and we're gonna give you books and training and all these things, right? And I could like Mike, I could do your taxes for you right now. If you like, I can step up and volunteer and do your taxes. And I would probably have you audited and in jail in about two seconds. <laughs> That's a now. great analogy, right? Now I'm willing not the right guy to be doing the taxes. I'm willing to do it. Mike. <laughs> if, if you're willing to let me, you right. know, I don't think it's a great idea, but it doesn't look like anybody else is stepping up to do your taxes for free, right. for free. Right. right. So, but the end result is not going to be good. Um, well, hey, John, why don't we get you some accounting courses, mm-hmm. knowledge base there about how to do this? Oh, that might help both of us. Right. <laughs> and so and so, you know, we we ask our, 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 our volunteers, look, if if you if you're not interested in in this, um, there's many, you know, then please sit in the stands and enjoy your child mm, that way. Right. But and we don't use the phrase just a volunteer, the just a volunteer. Like, you need a buck. Now you're not a volunteer. But we don't use that phrase because I think it demeans what you're out there trying to do, which is right. if there's more important work than standing in front of a child and impacting their lives, I'm not other than saving a child's life. I'm not sure what else there is mm-hmm. you know, past other than life and death things. I think that's next. Right. And so, um, uh, uh, but that's really where things need to, to, to head. Um, and the responsibility and the privilege and the honor. So when I first, mm. you know, one of the first things I learned when I went to coach a Pop Warner football team, and I didn't learn until Joe Ehrman started working with us. Um, I was in college and I was done. And I, me and my friend decided that we'd go help a Pop Warner football team. And I was there and I'm cursing at these kids and throwing my hat down. <laughs> the way that you were taught. Right. And I was like, that's how you do it. Because the coach I had, that's what he did. And one year, Mike, we were undefeated and unscored upon. Nobody scored on us. That's how good we were. 
as these little punk kids playing football, right? So of course that's how you do it. Of course that's how you do it, right? But I couldn't figure out why years later that was that until I understood from Joe. And he's like, no, you coached the way you were coached, and you, John, thought that was right. Now, on those fields that year, I don't know how many kids – lives I may have negatively affected and that bothered mm. the hell out of me like until I learned and I wanted mm. to go into coaching and I'm doing <laughs> I loved it still oh, you were great you were you were undefeated unscored upon what a great coach are you I right I, I'm ready for the next level yeah and I played a year of college football I mean I'm here I'm here thank God the world can stop I've arrived right <laughs> and so you know um, that's what happens. And until you uh-huh. get this awareness about yes. it and about yourself, you know, as Joe talks about, you know, in order to become a better coach, you got to become a better you. That's Joe. Yeah. Um, and that's really what it is, man. And, 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 mm-hmm. and that's the thing. And we're lucky. We have some amazing coaches that, you know, and, and what happens is everybody gets scared of their lack of knowledge. You know, and, 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 you know, we've got people, I don't know anything about volleyball, John, but I'm willing to help, but I'm scared to death because I don't even know a serve from a dig. Okay. Well, we can learn technical, especially now. Like, can you type YouTube? Like, right. And so what's really hard to learn is how you affect, you know, why don't, why aren't we out there folks like yourself talking about the self, not to, I don't want to sound the self-determination theory. Okay. Let's understand about autonomy, competency, and relatedness and what that means. Absolutely. Right. And then, and then how knowing how to serve, I could probably find a volleyball coach to teach you that in about 30 seconds. Exactly. So I was, I was just funny. I was just thinking about that. Cause I, I coach, I coach rec baseball. Um, I've coached baseball since my kid was old enough to play. And if you have a coach, that knows how to create the conditions for kids to have a good time and to develop their skills. You've basically hit the Holy grail in the, at the youth sport, youth sport level. But if you have a coach that creates the conditions to have fun and they don't learn a damn thing, they're still coming back next year. If it's not fun, but you became a better baseball player, you know what happens? They quit. My son just did it with travel baseball. He went there. It was like a, you know, he was learning. I was happy. He was getting better, but he was bored at practices because all they did was drills and they didn't get to hit. And he wasn't with his friends because it was a club team and all this stuff. And he said, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to go play rec with my friends. <laughs> well, no shit because it's fun. And if I, if I learn, if I happen to learn something new and I'm having fun, well, holy shit, then I'm really want Then I want to get more into it because this guy made it fun for me to learn. Holy cow, what a novel concept. You're so spot on. So, you know, you talk about as soon, if, if we can have them fall in love with the sport, not fall in love with baseball because we love baseball, but right. sporting, right? To fall in love with sport, physical activity, connection. Once they fall in love with it, and the only way to fall in love with something really is that it's fun, and fun doesn't mean ha-ha, grab-ass, recess, Fun means mm-hmm. I want to be challenged and learn Correct. and positively coached and influence. Doesn't mean I swag and all these other things. <laughs> um, you know. um, and so, when you can, when when your child is saying to you, "Can you come outside with me and catch? Can you come outside with me?" Um, and 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 you know, or you hear the volleyball and the basketball being dribbled through the house, and you're screaming at them, "Knock it off!" You know then they love it 
and opposed that's how to, you know you got them uh, you got them opposed to right opposed to them you going come on we're going to the batting cages and you know and, and then you're bribing them with ice cream sundays and so you know if they fall in love with it first however that happens mm-hmm. um they'll be pulling you to play and they'll want to go do it. And it's so counterintuitive because we know best. We're the parent. Um, <laughs> but they'll be they'll be doing that. And, you know, I'm not a religious guy. I'm like, you talked about the conditions. But it's it's really the seed in the soil. Man. It's the seed. And you need both, right? Yeah. You need the, the right environment, the safe space. The pl- we Our basketball coach does this. We do this great thing. And, and we all do. Um, he's especially into it. Um, at the end of the basketball sessions, the kids sit in a circle. And the first thing he says is, who made mistakes today? And he goes, I better see everybody's hands up. And he's not coming at it from a shame thing. He's teaching right. about how we learn and all that. And the kids yeah. can't wait. Tell me the mistakes. And the kids are shouting over each other. I double dribbled. I did. <laughs> how amazing is that? Because you're normalizing that it's okay to make mistakes because everybody makes mistakes and that's how we learn. The only crime in making a mistake is you don't learn from it. Well said. And the problem is, is that the adults, they demonize you making a mistake. And when you're a 12, 10, 13, 15 year old kid and someone scolds you for making a mistake, then you're not going to want to make another one because you don't like the way it feels when someone tells you that you made a mistake rather than saying, Hey, you made a mistake. It's okay. Like, here's what you could have done better. But I appreciate the effort. All of a sudden, you've created the old, you know, proverbial feedback sandwich, right? That's right. Great effort. Hey, this is what you could have did better. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, okay. Thanks, coach. No, right. And then they do it. And then when you when they do it, you go, hey, you see, you did what I just told you to do, and it it, it looked better. Good job. Way to listen, right? Like, it's not rocket science instead of, but but everybody just wants to point fingers, you know, and that's. Again, I think it's just a lack of awareness and that's, it's okay to not have that awareness, but at the same time, once you know, then it's on you, right? especially as a grown up. Totally. I, to that end, I challenge anybody that's sitting in the, in the gymnasiums of the elementary schools and middle schools throughout your, from rec on through whatever travel stuff is going on. And look at all of these kids that aren't robots making lefty layups, but when they're doing layups on their, if most kids are right-handed part, you know, on their opposite hand, if you will. Right. Um, and they either don't shoot them with the left hand on the left side if they're righties, but the ball goes in. So we've got this community growing up and I'm not making out lefty layups to be um, life and death. It's great example though. And so, You've got this, why are all of these kids not making lefty layups, but actually they're on the left side shooting the ball up with their right hand. I'm not a basketball expert, but I know that that's, you don't do that. Um, and the ball goes in and we clap. But it wasn't done. So we fell in love, but because now the outcome is, oh, that ball better go in regardless of what I do. I just got to get it in the hoop regardless of how it gets there, even though it's not the right way to do it. I can climb up on a ladder and put it through as long as that thing goes through. Thanks God. Because I don't want to hear from the sideline that I made a mistake. So I just got to get it in and I got to be perfect and everyone's going to clap for me. Opposed to like Pavlov's dog. I went up on my right foot, left hand, and I missed. But you know, through repetition 
and not right. boring of the process that eventually the outcome yeah. will happen, right? If we fall in love with the process. And so, you know, I, when I was coaching rec basketball, I would actually tell our kids, if you go down, we would work. I'd say, look, I don't care where the ball goes. Um, if you get the ball in with your right hand on the left side, um, you're coming out. Um, if you, if you put the ball up mm. with your left hand and it doesn't go in, it's no problem. I promise you, if you have a fast break by yourself and you're heading down the left side and you go over to your right side, ball in or ball out, you're coming out. <laughs> we're, we're, and so, and I don't care. And so when we, we started doing that in practice, but when we were doing lefty laps, I'm like, I don't care where the ball goes. I can right, go, just I can do go it. Right, just street. I'm not even looking if it goes in. I'm just looking at your left hand. Mm-hmm. And so when it became okay, and then we start laughing about, ah, look at that one went all the way across the gym, you know? And then all of a sudden it comes. And then the first kid, it's when it happens, man. And that first kid's going down that court and they go to make this lefty layup and they couldn't even mm-hmm. do it a few weeks ago in practice. It was hitting them in the head and it goes in and the place goes bananas. <laughs> the bench goes bananas. The parents, of course. Go, what the hell's going on here? Right. But the kids are all going nuts. Uh-huh. Cause they know that's the deal. I love that. And then yeah. it went in. And so get off of, you know, let's, let's, let's crock pot this thing. Let's don't microwave the beef. Let's crock pot it. I like that. That's a great analogy. Yeah, that's a really great cook. analogy. You tell me which one you want to eat, you know? So good point. we did that. And oh, I yeah. pulled kids. I'm like, nope, nope. And cause you have to make it mean something. They're like, but it went in. No, I know it went in. I So the whole world knows the ball went in. We all know if the ball went in or it didn't. Great job. You know, and right. So <laughs> just as one thing, I would challenge anybody sitting there to, to, to because this is learning. This mm-hmm. is learning, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I think we probably only have a couple more minutes here. So I'll, I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody at the, at the end of this podcast, but I'm going to frame it very specifically for you. Okay because of the world you're in and youth sports and you're doing the work you're doing with I nine and really trying to get the message out about the right way, you know, if you want to call it that or a better way to participate in youth sports, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to a sports parent? And it could be anything like what, what was the one thing you'd tell them that they need to know? We, it's great because we talk to our parents often, um, verbally live in our bulletins and newsletters, Mm-hmm. And things all in this effort. And one of the things that we tell them, um, and I think I learned this from John O'Sullivan as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're done at the end of the game, I mean, we tell them a lot of things, Mike, but, or ask them request behaviors um, at the end of the game. And it's going to feel really corny and weird. First of all, the kids are already done thinking about the game by the time it's over. You're not. They are. It is their time. We're going to give sports back to the kids. And when they're done, all I want you to say is five words. And those five words are, I love watching you play. And if you'll do that in the car or right after, when you're looking in that rearview mirror, when all you want to do is say, boy, if you would have just done this, Mm -hmm. you would have caught it, if you would have ran over it. They know, and they have a coach, by the way. Um, I don't care if you are Peyton Manning and your son's a quarterback. They have a coach. And so we say, watch their face light up in that rearview mirror when you say, I love watching you play. 
And if you don't hear anything else we ever say, <laughs> please do that and come back yeah. and you can tell me what happened. And the first kid that doesn't like it, please call me because that'll be the first. Because <laughs> I want to meet this kid. Right. Um, and tell me what it does to your relationship because I'm never going to tell you how to parent. I will, I will discuss in great depth how to experience an unbelievable relationship with your child around sports if you'll um, stop worrying about the perception and the visual of that your child either got a home run or mm -hmm. struck out. And if you're making it about outcome, it's going to really affect them as opposed to yes. you being there and enjoying their presence because as you criticize and it doesn't mean again, everything is, Oh, you know, the worst thing you could do is constantly tell, you know, and they prove this many ways too. You know, you're, you're great. You're smart. That's not what we say. It's true. It's specific and truthful praise. Right. But not because if you're told you're, as you well know, Mike, if you're told you're smart all the time, the minute you get a B on a test, now you're a moron and you're scared right. to take a test. Well, that's the right. talk you get. Well, sports is the same way. Knock it off with all the stuff. You're a great three-point shooter. Next thing you know, they're banging it off the rim every night. You can't figure out what happened. Well, the expect what you just said means my whole life sucks because I can't make a three-pointer now. Just right. Enjoy watching them play. And then yes. when they know that you're there as this non-judgmental person mm -hmm. with unconditional love, that they'll then ask you, hey, what did you think about that play I made? Oh, do you really yeah. want to know? Boy, if you got that glove down just a little lower, it would not have gone through your legs. Right. Got it. Thanks, Dad. And, and, and the same principles apply as co as a coach, right? If they trust you, they will come to you and ask for advice and they will listen to your advice because they trust that you have their best interests at heart and that you care. But until you have that buy-in, then you're just another voice. It's just Charlie Brown's teacher going, wah, 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 wah. Right. That's right. And that's that's the secret sauce in it is build a respectful relationship with them. And then all of a sudden you've got a blank canvas because now they trust you and they want you to know they want to know what you have to, to offer. It, it, same goes in the pros until they trust. Of course. They trust same goes in my work. If they don't trust me, if someone doesn't trust that I have their best interest at heart and that I care about them first as a person and all I care about is their performance. Guess where it's going to go? It's the freaking toilet. Right. And real, like you are, Mike. They really know it. Not, you know, I read in the manual, you're supposed to trust me first. So here's all the things I'm going to say. Like it's a cold sales call. <laughs> well, that's the benefit of life experience. Yeah. I have that benefit. If I was 20 years younger, I probably would. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, man. All right. Well, listen, John, I know we could talk all day and we usually, we usually try to. <laughs> so I'm going to cut it off there. I got to move on to my next, uh, you, my buddy. next gig on the schedule. But um, I mean, it was awesome. This is, I think, the longest podcast I've ever recorded. Oh no, not surprisingly, no, it's awesome. I'm I'm really excited. I love how things went because I think we got across what we've talked about probably ten times in private has come across on you know this podcast, and now we get to put it out and maybe someone will listen and take something from it. So I'm excited about that. No, I always appreciate talking with you, Mike. I always learn something from you. So thank you, man. Thanks, John. Take care, man. So, what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with John Tareen? For me, it's that it's not okay to stay quiet as it relates to sharing best practices for coaching youth sports. The best coaches coach people, not games. About 70% of young people drop out of youth sports by the age of 13, presumably because they are not having fun. 
Coaches play a big role in that equation. Youth sport coaching must be better in order to quell this troubling trend. My suggestion to youth sport parents is to think about the life lessons you would like your children to learn when helping them choose what teams to play on. Winning and competing are important to young athletes, but should it be the most important factor in choosing a team? I want to thank John for his kind generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. To learn more about how mental performance coaching can help your mind work for you rather than against you, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back in two weeks, ready to get better. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks. Ready to get better.